you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. So about, uh, I think it was the second week of November, the start of the second week of November, I had the radio on and this kind of fun little blurb pops up, which is that in the UK, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You popped up into the top 40. Um, What they then added as the punchline for that joke was, if you think that's odd, remember that they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, So (laughs) this idea that uh, I think many of us tend to jump the gun, maybe. Uh, If you're anything like me, the other, or yesterday, yesterday we were in the car and I had music going and explained to my little one and a half year old, it's Christmas time, right? This is why we're listening to this music. Uh, But maybe me talking about this show of hands, if anyone realizes what's wrong with these various statements. Is it, is it Christmas time? No, 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 it's not Christmas time. It's not even Advent yet. Uh, we are not in Advent, we're not in Christmas, we're not in this point where we are celebrating the coming birth of Christ. Instead, <laughs> we're in Christ the King Sunday. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, our culture doesn't really make space for something like Advent. So let alone something uh, even smaller of a season. Season. A week, day, a feast. I think it's technically a liturgical feast. Uh, Christ the King. And so if Easter is this idea that, you know, Christ has been resurrected from the dead, that we are celebrating this, that uh, we move on to Ascension Sunday, where he is raised into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God, between there and then, or between then and now, we are still celebrating the fact that Christ is king, that we're saying that despite anything that goes on between that, Christ is still Lord, that he is still victorious overall. I don't know about you, but at least for me, I reckon it's for most of us. We're not really used to this idea of uh, a monarch kind of role, let alone maybe a theocratic monarch. Uh, And so when you think about maybe American society, American history, right? I I could ask any of our kids and say, you know, name me some stuff about the founding of our nation. And more than likely, you're going to get something about like, you know, dumping tea into a harbor because of taxation. Uh, This idea of our independence, that we get to have these freedoms, these rights, all of these things are a part of our, our culture and identity. And if you, if you move that along, even to today, right, I'm sure that if I mention, what are your thoughts on a mask mandate? That there are a few of you who maybe have some fire building up, right? This idea of being told what to do. Um, it doesn't always sit right with us. And so we have this thought in the back of our head about what 
are my rights and what is inherently mine. And we can look at it from two different perspectives. We can look at it from a spirit of freedom that Christ provides, or we can look at it from the spirit of bondage. If you're familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, right, this question kind of gets into uh, Cain's perspective. What is inherently mine? And I see my brother has a blessing that I don't have. What am I going to do about that? How do I make sure that there is enough blessing? How do I make sure that I have enough blessing? What if there's only so much favor to go around? How do I ensure that I get as much as I can? But in a Christian perspective, this this identity in Christ, we begin to look past maybe that discussion about rights for a moment. We begin to say, okay, so what about this this idea of what is mine? For us, it's, it's this idea that everything belongs to God, that he is the creator, that he put everything in its place. And so it's not necessarily about what is mine, but rather that I get to participate, that I get to partake in the fruit of God's wonderful creation. And if that's the case, the question shifts from myself, and it moves into the abundance of grace in the the question of responsibility. Who am I responsible to? What am I responsible for? And that's a much different question than what we might be used to. Today, being Christ the King Sunday, I I hope we have a good idea of who we're responsible to. It, It kind of is in the name a little bit. Christ the King. Christ is our Lord. And our Ephesians reading tells us this, that God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church. We have someone to report to. We have someone um, that, even if we're moving just a second beyond um, kind of that political realm, right? This idea of a king, or are we, are we more in this democracy, my rights, my voice sort of thing? We can all get behind the idea of who we report to. We all have that someone in our life, whether that be a boss or something else. But at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, that clock will tick zero, and there is someone that we report to. There is someone that we give an account of our life to. And that was our Matthew text, wasn't it? This idea that the Lord is separating nations like sheep to his right and to his left. The, the difference between the two isn't necessarily that zeal. It isn't the who did this thing, who, who praised the loudest, who preached the best, who cast out the most demons. That isn't what our Matthew text shows us. But rather that there's this idea that what we are responsible for when we are giving that report is to some degree we are responsible for our neighbor. We are responsible for our brother. We don't transform hearts. We don't bring hearts back to repentance. That is God's work. 
but we do act as stations of grace for God to be at work in. In the Ezekiel text, we see that God's heart is for the weak. It's for the marginalized, for the suffering. Our Matthew text only kind of reinforces it, right? The, the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Feeding the hungry, taking in the stranger clothing, the naked caring for the sick and visiting the prisoner. One of the things that stood out to me as Mac was reading this that didn't occur to me in the prep for my sermon was this idea that it's, it's one thing, I think, for our scripture to say, feed the hungry, take care of the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and visit the prisoner. You all did it, and you all didn't. But instead, he, he breaks it down. There's two different groups, and he repeats the same things each time. Are we aware of the importance of that? That these acts mean something? That by placing ourselves in these positions, by going out to the hurting, that we are partaking in God's work. We cannot separate our love of God from our love of neighbor. And both of these are requiring action of some sort. Even our great commission that we love to spout, especially as, Method as United Methodists, our, our uh, what is the word, not theme, Mission. Our mission <laughs> is about going out and making disciples, right? And it comes from this commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're reminded of Christ's authority as our King. We're reminded that we have this responsibility, that we have this call to go out, to be with others, pointing them back to Christ. And we've been given this promise that our King reigns and that he is with us throughout all of those moments. So in terms of Ephesians, right, the, the prayer that Paul prays for the church, do you know your king? As we sit here and we celebrate Christ the king, do you know Christ? Not just a head knowledge, but something that generates your action, that generates your life. Do you know your king to be the one who seeks and saves the lost, who restores all things? Do you know the hope to which you have been called. A life of holiness that reflects Christ's love to those in desperate need of it. Do you know the glorious inheritance of the saints? That you have been adopted into the family of God by no action of your own, but by God's own gracious and merciful love. Do you know the greatness of his power do you know the power of the king to heal the sick and restore sight to the blind, to declare release to the captives and to bring life to dry bones? Paul's prayer isn't simply knowing, 
but that it's a knowing that pervades all aspects of our life, that sends us out. When it comes to this idea of a king, are we willing to follow his commands? The previous church that I had worked at, um, I had this wonderful opportunity of getting to be a part of this church plant, more or less. Um, the, the district was promoting this thing called a dinner church, and a couple of us said, yeah, we'll, we'll come, we'll hear about it, we'll listen, we'll, we'll kind of see what all of this is about. And that led us to spending a summer of just praying, Lord, where do you want us in our city? Where are you calling us to be? Who is in need of you? And so eventually we found a spot. We found this place where we wanted to start planting a church to show the love of Christ to. But one of the things that really stood out to us was, you know, we were in this community of people who were um, just so impoverished, who didn't always have everything they needed that often we might have stigmas against. And so as we're sitting here planning this, um, the discussion comes up that if, if this is a church plant, what we want is to be growing disciples. And that doesn't just happen on a Tuesday night dinner that we're talking about. So this needs to be something that continues to grow, that relationships can abound beyond just a Tuesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. And questions were like, well, what, what do you mean about this, right? What, what all are we talking about? What does this begin to look like? And so different, just suggestions, ideas, pictures come up of like, well, you know, like maybe you get to know someone real well and so you start taking them out for coffee or like you, you go and do stuff with them and have hobbies and you, you're building these relationships that then allow for you to share Christ's love, to share the gospel message. To One of the people in this group planning this was saying, you want me to have a stranger in my car you want me to have someone with this potential history who could be dangerous. You want me to go out and get coffee with them? But as we begin to plant this church, um, it was incredible how we, we weren't sure how big things, like how we had 10 people in our group, and we didn't know how many from the community would start being a part of that. In a couple of weeks, we were up to 60 people weekly for a Tuesday night dinner, 20 of which would stay after for a message, which was just this remarkable thing. But during that time, conversations happened. Relationships were built. And that same person who was having those hesitancies, who was so concerned about their own well-being, by January was taking people uh, to their house so that they didn't have to wait in the cold for the bus. He was going with others to take people from the community to their jobs because their car broke down. Sitting down at this table with people that were completely different from him allowed him to experience just a whole transformation of his heart. And I don't share this just to celebrate one transformation because glory to God that it happened. I'm so thankful for him. But do you know that the, the learning, 
the transformation, the doing. All of that goes hand in hand. It's not something where we can sit down and say, I'm going to have a Sunday school class. I'm going to attend this thing and this thing and this thing, and I'm going to learn and I'm going to read these books. That's great and that's wonderful. But if you're wanting to know the heart of your king, if you're wanting to know how to follow more closely, one of the best ways is to just to jump in. It doesn't matter what the doubts are, what the fears are. They will get settled as it goes on, but following after Christ, he will show you the way. And so, for some of us, we may have jumped the gun, right? We may have uh, gone on and started listening to our favorite Christmas songs. We might have uh, really gotten very excited about that Christmas tree, and that is perfectly fine. (laughs) Uh, There is no shame in that. But whether you're celebrating our king, whether you're waiting with earnestness for his arrival, or maybe you're already experiencing his presence in some new and uh, unexpected way. Know that the heart and the will of the king that we serve is for those who are out there, who are hurting, who are starving, who are dying for a king who will show them love and mercy. Ezekiel puts this in a wonderful way. This is the declaration of the, Lord of, God, of, the, of the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bandage the injured, strengthen the weak. I will shepherd them into justice. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are a God who leads us, that you are our king, Lord, may we not be deaf to the call that you have put in our lives. May we not be blind to those around us who are hurting. Lord, our love for you extends beyond mere words, but goes forth in our actions as well. Lord, may we be people who follow after you, who go to the sick, who go to the dying, who go to the hungry. May your love be revealed. May your gospel be preached. And Lord, may it begin with us. We pray this all in your name.